0: that the the Lord receives our worship, uh, even knowing it is imperfect. Jesus takes our worship, and he perfects it before the Father for us. So thanks be to God for him. Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you." The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand that they may may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the, ground, on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees, sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for gathering us together once again to hear your word, to be instructed by you and Pray powerfully that you would come in our midst by your Spirit and help us to be attentive to these things, to not be distracted, to hear what you would have for us here in this text today. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. So if you are joining us today, you're joining us at the perfect time because today we will be jumping back into our sermon series, Ancestry.div, that is ancestry.divine. And what we are doing is we are looking at the pages of our... uh, We're looking at the story of our family history from the beginning of the pages of Scripture until the very end. That is to say, we're looking at everything that the, the Bible says in Genesis to Revelation about who we are, where we are from, where we are going, and what our purpose is in the world today as the people of God. And before we put our story on hold for Palm Sunday... And for Easter, we had just finished up the book of Genesis. And in Genesis, we saw the creation of our first parents, their duties in the world, the first marriage, the fall. We looked at the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And when we left off, Israel was in Egypt, uh, living under Joseph and experiencing great blessing. Uh, God had made Joseph the top man in all of Egypt at that point in time. Uh, He was basically the ruler of the entire World, and God had preserved Israel at the hands of Joseph, and all was well. So how do we get here to this point in our story? Moses has been called upon by God to deliver the people of Israel out of their bondage in Egypt. What happened, and why this man Moses? Why does God look at Moses and say, you're the man for this job? So we're going to look at those two questions today. What happened and why the man Moses? First of all, what happened? Well, it is the old story of the Garden of Eden once again. If you remember, we have seen this time and time again throughout the lives of the patriarchs. After the fall, God made a promise in Genesis chapter 3 that said the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, And we have said that the seed of the woman is who? Well, broadly speaking, it is the people of God, but specifically it refers to Christ. And we have said that the seed of the serpent is all those wicked men who are rebelling against God and persecuting his people. So, and we see, uh, when we look in the book of Exodus at the very beginning, we see that the people of God have begun to become fruitful and multiply in the land, just as God has told them to do. If you remember back uh, in the story of Adam and Eve, God told them to be fruitful and multiply. And just as before, every time the people begin to prosper and make progress in the world, the enemy attacks. The devil is constantly seeking to thwart the plan and the purposes of God by destroying the people of God because he thinks if he can wipe them off the map, then Uh, God won't be able to use them to fulfill his plan to destroy evil in the world through them. So what does he do? When the Pharaoh who who knew Joseph, and I think was converted, died, another Pharaoh is raised up who does not know Joseph, and he begins to persecute the people of God. Look back with me in Exodus chapter 1. Uh, In my Bible, it's just one page back. Exodus chapter 1 beginning in verse 6. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, The people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, uh, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramesses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. The Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shephara, and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the stool. If it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. For those of you who have been following along in our series, this will sound like a very familiar story to you. The devil incites a wicked man to try to destroy the seed of the woman, that is, the seed of Israel, by killing the male descendants. And God raises up godly women to deceive the tyrant in order to preserve the family line. This is the same story that we have heard over and over again throughout the book of Genesis, and here we see it in Exodus. Same story. It's no different. Here the people of God are being persecuted heavily, they are under oppression, and the devil has inspired Pharaoh to try and kill all of the male children in Israel. And the godly Hebrew midwives, they intervene and preserve the children by deceiving the enemy, and as a result, God blesses them. So this brings us to the story of Moses, and now we will begin to answer the question, Why this man? Why this man, Moses? Moses is among those male children who are being uh, cast into the river. And his mother, realizing that there was something special about him, decides to build a basket for him to float down in the river so that he might survive. And it's interesting to note that the basket that the mother uses or creates for Moses to float in, uh, that word, if you look at it, uh, it's in chapter 2, verse 3. Let's read that real quick. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. It's referring to Moses' mother. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. Now, this word for basket is the same word that is used for the ark that, uh, that Moses constructs to save his family through the flood. And it's interesting that this word is only used in one other place in the Hebrew Bible besides the, uh, the story of the ark, and that is right here. So Moses' mother creates a basket or an ark for him to float down the river in, and she covers it in butamen and pitch, just as Noah did, and she sends him down the river. And some of you may know the story. She sends him down the river, and Pharaoh's daughter uh, finds him, and she decides to have pity on him by the grace of God. And Moses' sister happens to see everything that happens. She sees Pharaoh's uh, daughter finding Moses, and so she cunningly goes up to Pharaoh's daughter, and she asks if she wants her to call one of the Hebrew midwives for her to nurse Moses, and she agrees. And so Moses's sister actually goes and gets Moses's mother <laughs> to nurse Uh, Moses until he's old enough to go into Egypt and, and be trained in the ways of the Egyptians. So his mother actually ends up raising him. So Moses is preserved through the waters of judgment in an ark, and now God is going to use him to deliver the people from Egypt in the very same way. This is the flood story all over again, coupled with the story of the Exodus. God preserving the family line in an ark through the waters of judgment. And as a matter of fact, the name Moses itself means to be drawn up out of the water, uh, which is the very same thing that will happen to the nation of Israel as they are drawn up out of the waters of the Red Sea later on and and are are saved. So Moses has experienced his first exodus here. Uh, When he's just a little boy, he escapes the judgment through water. Did you pick up on that? So this idea of Exodus is being ingrained in Moses very, very early on. But there's more. For 40 years, Moses is in Egypt, and while he is there, he is trained in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Uh, But one day, he finds an Egyptian beating one of his Hebrew brothers, and he decides to kill him. And when Pharaoh finds out that he has done this, Pharaoh basically puts a hit out on Moses, and Moses has to flee out of Egypt, into the wilderness, where he spends forty years, another forty years, and that story may sound familiar to you. Israel has to flee the persecution of Pharaoh from uh, persecution of Pharaoh from Egypt into the wilderness, where they spend how many years wandering in the wilderness, another forty years. so this is another exodus. Moses undergoes two Exodus experiences early on in his life before the third one where he is used to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt in an exodus. But there's more. I I want to point out something about Moses' time in the wilderness before we move on. Uh, This is a time of preparation. If you look at chapter 2, verse 16, you'll see that. Um, Chapter 2, verse 16, Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. So what happens here? Moses delivers the daughters of the priest of Midian from the cruel shepherds and then he waters their flock. Now, isn't this the very same thing that Moses does later on when he delivers the children of Israel, from that evil shepherd, Pharaoh, and then he takes them out into the wilderness and he provides water for them from the rock to drink for 40 years while they are in the wilderness. He delivers Israel from that wicked shepherd. Moses' time in Midian is a time of preparation. He spends 40 years there in the wilderness learning how to herd sheep. And then God is now going to raise him up to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt where he will take them out into the wilderness and guide them for 40 years as their shepherd. So Moses has undergone two Exodus experiences and he has been given thorough training in the ways of the Egyptians. Uh, This man's very identity and vocation has prepared him for the very work that God is calling him to do. Moses understands shepherding at his very core. Uh, God has ingrained it in this man from his birth, and now he is raised up by God in order to deliver his people in the very same ways. And when God calls on Moses to do this, he tries to come up with every excuse in the book not to do it. Did you pick up on that in our text when we first read it? And I want to point out two things about that that are pertinent to our discussion today, back in Exodus chapter 4, if you look at verses 1 through 5. And the first thing that we're going to look at is the fact that Moses is worried uh, that that the people will not believe that God is using him to deliver them out of Egypt. And God says, what is that there in your hand? Verse 1, Then Moses answered, But behold... They will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. God takes the staff of Moses, the very shepherd's staff that he most likely used for the 40 years while he was in the wilderness herding sheep, and he uses that to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. It is not Moses who does it, but God. God works powerfully through Moses to deliver the people. It is through the staff that God executes judgment on Egypt in the plagues. And it is through the staff that God parts the waters of the Red Sea so that the children of Israel can uh, travel through on dry ground. And it is through the staff that God provides water from the rock for Israel while they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. So the first thing, God says, what is that there in your hand? Second, God says, who is that there? God says, who is that there? Look at verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. and take in your hand the staff which with which you shall do the signs. So Moses tries to get off the hook by saying he can't speak. He says, I'm not an eloquent man. I can't speak well. How am I going to speak to the, the children of Israel on your behalf? And God says, who is that there? Isn't that your brother Aaron? He speaks well. Stop making excuses, Moses. Moses at one point actually tries flat out tells God, send somebody else. Did you pick up on that? He said, send somebody else. I just, I don't want to do this. But you see, Moses is God's chosen man. God has been training him and preparing him and equipping him throughout his entire life to do the very thing that God is calling on him to do. And now God calls on him to do it, and Moses is standoffish. He's he's a bit trepidatious at first. You know, he's worried that they won't listen to him. And he doesn't know how he will do it. Friends, isn't this our story? Isn't this each one of us whenever God calls on us to do something? No, I I can't do that. There's no way. If you would have asked me 12 years ago if I would be standing up here before you preaching a sermon as a pastor at a church in Princeville, Illinois getting ready to be ordained into the gospel ministry, I would have laughed at you and thought you were crazy. But God has a funny way of doing things sometimes, doesn't He? If God has called you to do something, He is preparing you and equipping you your entire life to do it, even when it may not seem like it. Even during some of the toughest of times, the hardest times, even during some of the darkest times, of times God is at work even during those times to prepare you and equip you for what is next. And we're going to come up with excuses. Do you have any? Do you find yourself making excuses before God and man when he calls upon you to do something? You say, "Oh no, I don't have the strength. I don't have the wherewithal. I don't have the time." I don't have those giftings, or I don't have the personality, etc., 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 ad infinitum. Now, sometimes there are legitimate reasons why we can't do this or that, but most of the time we're just making excuses, aren't we? If we're honest with ourselves. Can you think of times when you felt like God was calling on you to, to do something, and you started making up excuses so that you didn't have to do it, and before you knew it, the opportunity just passed it. Pass right by you. How do you know if God is calling on you to do something? Well, let's talk about it. Come talk to me or or one of the elders, and we'll talk about your gifts and your abilities and your life situation, and we'll try to figure out what God might be calling you to do. As I said in my newsletter this month, God has gifted each one of us in this church With abilities to serve if you are saved you are part of the body of christ then god has given you gifts and he has called you to serve and there are several ministries that we're already doing and there are new ones and and new opportunities and god is calling all of you to one of them and you say well i don't think i can do it for reasons x y and z and god says what is that in your hand there What's that in your hand there? Just like Moses, God has promised to be with you. And He is going to accomplish His purpose in the world through you. It's not you who does it. It's God who works through you. God will empower you. God will give you the wherewithal. God will give you the help and the time that you need to do whatever it is that God is calling you to do. And if God is calling you to do something, trust me, I can testify to this, and I'm sure there's plenty of other people in the church that if you go and ask them, they'll tell you the same thing. God will provide for you exactly what you need right when you need it to do whatever He is calling you to do. He has done this, and He does do it time and time again. And you say, you still say, well, I don't know if I can do that. I'm still not sure. And He says, who is that there with you? Who is that there with you? Isn't that your brother or your sister? God is not calling on you to do this alone. He has called on you to do it together alongside your brothers and sisters in the church. And we're going to come alongside you and help you to do it because we're all in this together. This is one body working towards one unified effort here in Princeville, Illinois to accomplish God's will. And we will do it together. Uh, we're not going to leave you on your own to do it. He, uh, we will help you to do whatever God is calling us to. And we need you. Or else it won't get done. Uh, God is preparing you and He is training you right now for whatever is next. Uh, you may not be ready uh, to serve right at the moment in this capacity or that. Uh, but you're ready to serve in other ways because God has been preparing you Throughout your entire life, and He is preparing you. In order to get prepared, you have to serve because it is through your service that God prepares you. That makes sense? I look at each phase of our lives as a training ground for what's next, and I think Scripture bears this out. Uh, we see it obviously in our story today with Moses, um, but we see it in other. People as well. Think of the Apostle Paul. Paul said that God had set him apart from before his birth, by his grace, to accomplish the work that he was calling him to do in the world. And Paul went through some dark times, did he not? Paul was a great persecutor of the church, but even during those things, God was preparing him to be the Apostle of the Gentiles. And let's not forget about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ was prepared from His very birth to do the work that God had called Him to do on the cross. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is presented as a new Moses. Early on in Jesus' life, what does He have to do in order to survive? He has to flee to Egypt, right? Because there's another wicked king who's been raised up And he's persecuting the people, and he's having all the boy babies killed, right? His name was Herod. It's the same story all over again. And Jesus has to flee with his family out of Jerusalem into Egypt at this point in time to survive. You see, during Jesus' day, Jerusalem had become a new Egypt because Jerusalem was now the persecutor of the people of God. And so Jesus and his family flee out of Jerusalem, But then later, uh, later Jesus has to make a second exodus, just like Moses. Jesus makes his first exodus. Then he has to make a second exodus out of Jerusalem, the new Egypt, because the people there are persecuting him once again and trying to kill him, just like they did Moses. And indeed, they do kill him. And where does Jesus make his second exodus from? Well, from the cross, when he exits out of this world into world, uh, into the new world, preparing the way for us so that we might enter into the promised land. It's also interesting to note that uh, in the book of Exodus, everything that happens to Moses happens to the people of Israel. Again, this is the concept of the one of the many that we talked about on Easter. Moses is the representative of God's people in the Old Covenant, and everything that happens to him happens to the people of Israel, just like Jesus is the representative of God's people in the New Covenant, and everything that happens to him happens to us. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that the people of Israel were baptized into Moses. That's a rather strange statement. They were baptized into Moses? What does this mean? What does it mean that they were baptized into Moses? Again, Moses is their representative, and everything that happens to him happens to them. Moses goes through these Exodus-like experiences where God delivers them powerfully through the water. Moses was the leader of God's people, the chosen representative, and he has to make his escape from the enemy through the waters. And likewise, Israel has to make their escape from their enemies through the waters of the Red Sea, and Moses leads them through it. Moses has prepared the way for the people through his prior experience, and now he is going to guide them in it. Well, what do you know? Paul tells us in the New Testament that we are baptized into Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ is now the new representative of God's people, and we are baptized into him. What does this mean? We're baptized into his death, burial, and resurrection. We become partakers of it with him in it, and we escape out of this world uh, with him through it into the world that he has gone to prepare for us. Christ has prepared the way for us into the new heavens and the new earth through his death, burial, and resurrection. And when we are joined to the church through baptism, we become part of this new community that he is leading through this wilderness wasteland that we now call life into the new heavens and the new earth where we will experience new life and new blessings in the presence of our God forevermore. So friends, this is our story. The whole thing, it's our story. Christ is our leader and representative. And he has given us a pattern uh, to follow after in his life. And those who are his will have their lives patterned after his. We will experience times of death and burial and resurrection. We will experience the death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, we will go through wilderness wastelands in our lives. We will go through uh, times of de- um, um, emptiness, like we're in the desert. Um, but he is leading us into the promise, and we will one day enter into it. This is our preparation, friends. He has prepared us for this, and he is preparing us. So let us walk with him in the way that he has showed us, for this is the way that all those who have gone before us have walked.